the scripture, when Jesus gave us the model prayer, he said, when you pray, pray like this. He didn't say pray this exactly, but what he said is when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. And the very first thing that Jesus did was establish that the kingdom of heaven is a familial kingdom. When he said to pray, he told us to start our prayer by recognizing and acknowledging that we are a child of the most high God. That is why he said when we pray to start out by saying our father, what he's saying is he's wanting us to recognize that as a community, as a people, that we are the children of God. So when we come to him, we come to him not as a king who is far off that doesn't understand us or as a ruler who uh, is sitting on a throne that we are just his subjects and that we are here and that he just makes decisions and that we are subject to his decisions. What Jesus was wanting us to understand is that when we come in prayer, when we come in worship to God to first of all recognize who he is and recognize who we are in him, that we are his children. So when we're singing our father, then we take it to the next song and say, you do all things. You do all things. My father, say that, my father does all things. He's my father. It is, it is a very, very important thing to recognize that when we're praying, we're not praying to a God who is sitting somewhere in the distance and maybe our prayer gets to him and maybe it doesn't or we're in a line, you know, like, I don't know if you're like in Baskin Robbins, you got to take a number. You don't have to take a number with God. I don't ever, I never said to my children when they would come to me, I would tell them, do you see that ticket over there? Go get in line. They're my children. God looks at us the same way. He says, you do all things. So right now, just take just a moment and just recognize your identity and your position this morning. And let's just, let's just kick it off with this is if you've never made the decision and it's not, it, let me, there are no grandchildren in the kingdom of God. There's only children. Because your parents prayed or your grandma prayed or your mom cried tears on the pew at the first church of the Holy of Holies, that doesn't mean anything for you. It means that you have an amazing inheritance in the spirit if you choose to take hold of it. But if you've never made your personal decision to invite Jesus Christ into your heart, this morning he's saying, my heart is wide open to you. And, you know, people say, well, I'm a good person. I believe in God. You know what? Satan believes in God. Every demon in hell believes in God. But here's the important thing is that it's a personal choice. See, God is a respecter of your free will. And he respects the fact that you have a choice to choose who and what rules over your life. You have a choice to choose who you follow and what you give authority to in your life. So this morning, if you've never made that personal choice for yourself to say, I choose to make Jesus Christ, CW said it last week, my Lord and my Savior. My Savior, Jesus Christ, is the one who rescued me when he died on the cross and shed his blood. The blood is the payment for sin. That's why Jesus had to give his blood is because the blood was the payment for sin for all time, for every sin that had been committed and every sin that would be committed. That includes mine and yours. So Jesus died on the cross and gave his blood as a payment for every sin in your life. That's your savior. 
then you choose also. You cannot have him as your savior if you do not have him as your Lord. Your Lord says you are the one who is the preeminent rule and the one who leads my life. When Jesus said to his disciples, he said, come and follow me. It meant that they had to leave what life they were used to, what life they were accustomed to, what was familiar to them. They had to lay that down and choose to follow Jesus. Where was he going? Does it matter? It's Jesus, right? It doesn't, does it matter where he's going? It's Jesus. So this morning, if you've never made that choice for yourself, knowing what you're choosing, maybe you prayed that when we, when you were at, I don't know, uh, summer, what do they call that? Bible school. Like who wants to go to school during the summer? Anyway, if you've never made that choice for yourself, knowing what you're choosing, Right now, you have the opportunity to do so. And if you're choosing that for the very first time, knowing what you're doing, saying, I choose him as my Savior and my Lord. I want you to shoot your hand up in the air really high right now. Anybody in this room? There's no shame. Because if you can't raise your hand in here, you're not going to be able to live it out there. This is the safest place, and we just want to celebrate you. The Bible says that if you confess me before for men, I will confess you before my Father. And I know you all are probably like, what the heck is she doing? You're supposed to do this at the end of service. Hey, we're just rolling with it. Okay? So if you've never made that choice, I do. I feel like there's somebody here this morning, at least one no, there's at least two that are saying, I had made that choice, but I don't know that Jesus has ever been real to me. And this morning, there is an invitation and there is an open doorway that I feel like God is saying, if you will make a bold step right now, I am going to show myself in your life like you've never known me before. So if that is you, shoot your hand up high. Say, I want to know him like I've never known him before. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Okay, those, yes, yes. Those that raise their hand, those people that are around you, there's another one in the back back there. Those people that are around that person that just raised their hand, just stretch your hands out towards them right now. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. You are a God that is not far off. You are a God who is right here with us. So right now, Father, we declare your word that you are as real as real can be, that you are more real than anything that we see with our physical eyes. And so, Father, we declare and we agree as your children, as a body, that you are making yourself known to your children like you've never done before, like they've never experienced you before. Father, let them experience. We declare, not let them. Father, we declare in the name of Jesus that they will experience and have an encounter with your love like they've never experienced before. And God's love never fails. Say that with me, church. God's love never fails. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate what God is doing? Yeah. Man, he's good. So turn to your neighbor and say, we're going to do what God says, not what the routine is. Okay? Thank y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Isn't it good? What it, what is the scripture? I rejoice when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. So can I just say how thankful I am? Was uh, that word from CW good last week or what? Man. We were watching on our way from... Uh, I just dribbled. Did you see that? 
I just drooled. Um, we were watching on our way. We flew into Austin to go see a friend. And um, we were watching service on the way from Austin to San Antonio. And here's what I am so thankful for. If you haven't been in this church for very long and you're kind of new here, um, I'm going to back up and I'm just going to say this. It is very common. Most churches are established. There are apparently like I, I can't tell you what all 12 of them are, but there's apparently 12 business models that most businesses are patterned after their structure, um, their chain of command, their leadership model. And most churches are patterned after one of those 12 leadership models or business models. Our church and many others are not. <laughs> Our church is patterned after what is called an apostolic model. And part of an apostolic environment and an apostolic culture is there is not one person who is the lead, like, you know, like nothing happens if this one person isn't here, that everything is centered and focused around this one person. In an apostolic environment, uh, the focus is that everyone is important and everyone has giftings. Everyone has a calling. Everyone has purpose. Everyone has destiny. And the focus of an apostolic environment is to, um, foster the, uh, the destiny on the inside of every person. And I am so thankful for all of the gifts and the beauty that comes in this apostolic environment. And CW is one of those layers. And I'm so thankful. Thank you. We have, I want you to know, we have so many people in here. Well, I'm, I'm not going to say every person in here. I look at Kelsey and I think, I remember, do you guys remember when Kelsey very first started doing announcements up here, the welcome? She was so quiet She's still such a sweet voice, but I'm telling you, there is such a blossoming coming out of Kelsey. And I believe that it has a large part to do with her husband, Cole. He is an amazing man of God. So there's just so many, everyone in here is powerful and anointed. Christine, I just love the anointing that you bring. You have such a powerful voice from the kingdom of heaven. And we are all thankful for the voice that you bring from, from the throne. So thank you for what you do as well. Christine is the lead of our prayer team. If you have a desire to want to be on the prayer team and you might say, you know what? I don't know all of the Bible and I don't know every scripture. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> you don't have to. All you need to do is to have a desire to love people. That is the thing with our prayer team. They're such an amazing group of people. If you have a desire or any thought of wanting to learn uh, about the ministry that takes place with our prayer team, Christine, can you just wave your hand so everybody knows who you are? Talk to Christine. She's so sweet. If you, if you don't want to be on the prayer team, you should still talk to her because she's pretty amazing. So anyway, anyway, anyway. All right. Um, for the past, I would say, geez, probably three or four months, I have been in one particular area, just keep being drawn back and drawn back to this particular area. And I've been kind of, um, waiting for God to say, okay, now it's time. <laughs> and, uh, this last week, um, let's see, it was Sunday through, excuse me, Tuesday night, we were in San Antonio and we were at the Cowboy Ministers Network conference. It is a uh, network that was started by our father in the ministry, Glenn Smith. And uh, it's been going for quite, you know, ever since Glenn has been in heaven for 10. I'm not oh, sure I understand. I don't know why she does that. <laughs> I put her to sleep and she still does that. Okay. So anyway, stop it. So, um, we got to go out there and be a part of that meeting. It is a gathering of ministries from, uh, particularly cowboy ministries from, from all over the place. And so we had the blessing of getting to be there with uh, part of our kingdom ranch family out in California and Nick and Katie were out there with us. It was a blessing and baby Uriah was the hit of the conference. Let me just say that. And, um, we just had a good time. And let me tell you, 
There was some restoration that took place that uh, we've been praying for and desiring for many, many years. So beautiful restoration took place out there. And we also had the opportunity to meet people and make friends that we'd never met before. And so it was always wonderful to get to gather together and to be in a room like that where you get to experience uh, so many different uh, I love to experience the way that God expresses himself through different pockets in the body of Christ. And I, I just love being in that environment. It's, it's very captivating to me. So I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I love going, but I love coming home. I miss my church family when I'm not here with you. So Darren is in California this week, uh, and they are doing baptisms at Kingdom Ranch this morning. So we're excited about that. So are y'all ready to get into the word today? Let's do it. If you have your Bibles with you, if you would open up to Hebrews chapter three, and we're going to start reading there. And I really want to encourage you to uh, bring your physical Bibles with you. I know the Bible app is super handy. And if you don't have your Bible with you, that sure does work. But um, those who are going to be in front of the line in heaven will have their paper Bibles. Anyway, okay, so <laughs> Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 12. We're just going to jump right in. And I'm going to be reading out of the Passion Translation. And some of you are like, you just told me to read out of my Bible. And that's not the right one, Pastor. You're reading out of the wrong one. I know. I'm sorry. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 3, the Passion Translation, verse 12 says this. So search your hearts every day my brothers and sisters, and make sure that none of you has evil or unbelief hiding within you, for it will lead you astray and make you unresponsive to the living God. This is the time to encourage each other, uh, to encourage each other to never be stubborn or hardened by sin's deceitfulness. For we are mingled with the Messiah if we continue unshaken in this confident assurance from the beginning until the end. This passage of scripture has been a passage that has gripped me because the thought of, we think of sin, we think of sin as being those uh, blatant things like doing really naughty things. Right? We think of sin as being like, oh, we can't even talk about that in proper company. Right? As church people, that's what we think about. So it says that sin, but it says also unbelief. That if we do not check our hearts and search our hearts every day, that we can become subject to unbelief hiding in our hearts. And the thing that got me was that it says that it can make us unresponsive to the living God. That scares me. Like there is a holy reverent fear that comes up on the inside of me when I think of unbelief hiding in my heart. It means when it says hiding in your heart, it means that it's something that is deceptive in its root to be able to stay there. Because if it's hiding, it's not jumping out and saying, woo, right? It's hiding, which means it's giving me a lie or deceiving me somewhere to justify the thought process of the unbelief. And this justification in my thought process of the unbelief causes me to be unresponsive to God. Meaning I hear him. Meaning I catch the unction, but I don't follow through with it. I don't respond. I don't give action. I don't give heed to the voice of God that is calling to me. The most common, most asked question, bar none, all across Christianity is, how do I hear the voice of God? How do I know if I'm hearing God's voice? This here says 
the unbelief is what causes us to be unresponsive when we do hear and sense the voice of God. The scripture very plainly tells us that we are his sheep and we hear his voice in the voice of a stranger that we don't know. But the unbelief hiding within our hearts speaks to us and tries to get us to be unresponsive to the living God. This scares me. (laughs) A holy reverent fear. Now, let me give you just a little bit of context as to what is going on here. The book of Hebrews is written by an unknown author. It is not officially recorded like a lot of the other uh, uh, books in the New Testament. It says, I, Paul, we read it, you know, he says that he's writing to us. The book of Hebrews, it is a lot of scholars believe that Paul wrote it because of the way that it's written, but it isn't officially recorded who wrote the book. I have my personal opinion about it, but it doesn't matter what my personal opinion is officially there is no official recording of who wrote the book of Hebrews but the book of Hebrews the author is writing to the Jewish people of that time of that day this is after the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the book of Hebrews is written to the audience of Jewish believers who have converted to Christianity meaning that they have confessed their faith and belief upon Jesus Christ as the Messiah the son of God. Now, when they believed upon Jesus as the son of God, the feeling and the common thought of the day was that he's returning soon after his death, burial and resurrection. They knew that he was coming back and the belief was he's coming back soon. As time went on and the return delayed And as there arose more and more persecution from the religious community, the converted Jews of the day began to question their decision. They were doubting, did we do the right thing? Was he the Messiah? Because he hasn't come back. So did we make the right decision? Are we following the right thing? And the writer of Hebrews is addressing these people who are on the brink of teetering in their faith. They are in a place where because of the things that are happening around them and the things that they are seeing, the personal hardships, the personal persecution, the things that they are experiencing in their life from day to day is causing them to question their decision to choose to make Jesus Christ the Lord of their life. I would say a lot of us could probably relate heavily to the audience of Hebrews. So this is the audience, and as this person is writing to them, we see in chapter 1, in Hebrews chapter 1, there's, I love the way that the Passion Translation puts it, because in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2, this is what the author writes. He says, but to us living in these last days, God now speaks to us openly in the language of a son. Wow. Then in the footnotes in the Passion Translation, it says, God has spoken through a son. Jesus is the language of God. See, you and I, the footnote goes on to say, you and I speak English. God speaks son. God speaks Jesus Christ. So as we read the book of Hebrews, what we're reading is the way that God communicates with us. And the way that God communicates with us is through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the death, burial, and resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what he's wanting us to understand. So everything that he communicates with us, everything that we read here is written to us in the language of Jesus. From the Father to us in the language of Jesus. He goes on in chapter 2 and he gives the warning to the people to not drift away from the faith that they have come into. And then in chapter 3, he reminds them of the access that we have been given to God through Jesus Christ. And to not turn back. To not be where we catch right here is where we're, the author is going through the story of the Hebrew children that were brought out of Egypt and brought into the wilderness as a place to worship God. 
Now, when they were brought out of Egypt, that is a picture, a type and a shadow of you and I being brought out of the bondage of sin, brought out of the life that we lived, that we were just subject to whatever rule came over us. And we crossed the Red Sea. We crossed through the blood of Jesus Christ into our freedom, into the wilderness where God had called them to go and to worship. But the author is warning the people and he's saying an entire generation of people came out out of captivity, yet they never crossed over into the fullness of the promise of God. And we can look at that and we can say, what a waste. An entire generation of people passing away in the wilderness. Well, okay, let's just go on because he says it better than, better than I. Hebrews 3, going on into verse 17, it says this. Because of what they were doing, it says they grieved God for 40 years by sinning in their unbelief. Look at your neighbor and say, unbelief Unbelief. is sin. sin. We thought like murdering people was sin. Well, it is. (laughs) But apparently, according to the Bible, unbelief is sin. What? I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Okay, so he goes on and he says, um, until they dropped dead in the desert. I think that's hilarious. It's not funny, but it's like, whoa, there it is. Okay, so verse 18, he says, so God swore on in an oath that they would never enter into his calming place of rest, all because they disobeyed him. It is clear that they could not enter into their inheritance because they wrapped their heart in unbelief. This passage makes it clear to us that unbelief will cause us to not receive the inheritance that Jesus died for us to have. And unbelief will cause us to be unresponsive to the living God. Unbelief is not a good thing. It is not okay for us to make excuse and to have that in our life, to carry that from day to day. He goes on then in Hebrews chapter four, starting in verse one, it says, now the promise of entering into God's rest is still for us today. Say that's for me. So we must be extremely careful to ensure that we all embrace the fullness of that promise and not fail to experience it. For we have heard the good news of deliverance just as they did, yet they didn't join their faith with the word. And that word, word is capitalized, which means it is the living word. They did not join their faith with the living word. Instead, what they heard didn't affect them deeply, for they doubted. For those of us who believe, faith activates the promise and we experience the realm of confident rest. Faith activates the promise. And when the promise is activated, we experience confident rest. So what does confident rest look like? The best example, the first one that came to my mind of confident rest is a story, an account that we read in the scripture out of the, out of, um, Mark. I'm not going to go there just for the sake of time, but Mark 35, uh, starting in Mark 4:35, we read the account of Jesus telling his disciples after they get done ministering, he says, y'all, let's get into the boat and we're going to go to the other side. So they all get into the boat the disciples and Jesus, and there were, it says that there were other boats that were going along with them. And as they're going to the other side, Jesus decides to lay down on a pillow. I love that it's descriptive like that. Jesus lays down on a pillow and falls asleep. Now, during the crossing to the other side, a big storm arose. Now, when it says a big storm, keep in mind that many of the disciples that were following Jesus were fishermen. These are not men who are mamsy, pamsy, weenie men. They're used to being out on the water in a storm and they were freaking out. So that tells me that this is a wham of a storm. This is not just a little bit of wind blowing and a little bit tossing back and forth. This is a storm, which 
probably says that as Jesus was sleeping on the pillow, that water was coming up and over and splashing onto Jesus as he was sleeping and waves are coming into the boat and everybody is freaking out and they go to Jesus and they wake him up and they say, don't you even care? We're going to die. That's a lot of drama. Jesus not being for drama looks at them and he's like, y'all, because they were in Southern, right? (laughs) He looks at them and he says in verse uh, 41, he says, but he said to them, well, first he calms the storm and he rebukes it and he says, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he looked at the disciples and he says, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? What does rest look like? It looked like Jesus sleeping in the middle of a storm with waves and wind crashing into the boat and the disciples screaming, "Ah, we're all going to die. And yet Jesus is still sleeping. It is the calm of rest that God gives. Why was Jesus able to do that? Because Jesus has stated several times, he only did what he saw the father doing and he only said what the father was saying. So when he said, let's go to the other side, he was saying what the father was saying because Jesus only said what the father said. So when he said, let's go to the other side, Jesus made that declaration under the authority of the father. Jesus was under the authority of the father. So when Jesus made the declaration, he made the declaration with authority because Jesus lived under the authority of the father. And because he lived under the authority of the father, he rested under the authority of the father. And because he rested under the authority of the father, he dreamed with authority. Jesus was able to dream with authority because he was submitted to the authority that had been established over him. And that's where I want to go this morning. Those who are under authority will dream with authority. We have been on a path as a church, as a body of pioneering. We started the year out with our devotional, our 21-day devotional, and many of us fasted together as a declaration that God was awakening the artisans. He was awakening the craftsmen. He was awakening the creator, the dreamer on the inside of us. And the dreamer on the inside of us, it is time that the dreamer dream with authority. We don't just dream dreams because we ate pizza. We dream dreams because we are submitted to the authority of heaven. And when we dream dreams, we are released. The dream of heaven is being released through the creation. So I couldn't uh, think of how to say, so I'm just going to, I wrote it down. So I'm just going to read to you what I wrote down. Uh, days that we are in. It will be the people that live fully connected to God, resting in who he is, that will be the pioneers of innovation into transformation. Our world is groaning under counterfeit innovation authored by darkness and deception. These are mere perversions of the authentic, but do not fear. God has strategically placed his innovators in this time. Explosions of light are bursting into reality that have been waiting to be revealed since the days of creation. These innovators of light will be the catalyst to transformation in these last days. These innovators, these dreamers, these pioneers will be driven and inspired by a power that is unseen, but their life of faith will cause the unseen God to be seen in glory. The author of creativity will bring innovation through his faith-filled forerunners, God's pioneering dreamers. We will dream with authority to the degree that we are submitted to authority. 
I love what Darren's pastor back in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Pastor Willie George said, get under what God put over you so that you can get over what God put under you. Get under what God put over you. Get under the authority of Father God. Get under the established authority where God has planted you in a church. And the people that say, well, I just have church out on the back of my horse. I don't need to go into a building. Uh, you need to read the Bible. Because you cannot be who you are created to be without being in relationship with other people. The gift that is on the inside of you cannot be expressed unless you are around other people. That is one of the major downfalls of other religion that has the highest value of isolation. The highest value is to be silent and to be completely isolated. We are not called to be the toe of God. We are called to be the body, which means the toe cannot function without the rest of the body, which means we can not function in the fullness of who God called us to be unless we are in full relationship with the rest of the body. You say, I don't have a problem with impatience and anger. Get one more person in the room and we'll find out. (laughs) We cannot know who we truly are until we are around other people. It is imperative that you are a part of the body because the the Bible says that iron sharpens iron. So when you and I are around one another, the scripture also says to submit one to another. So we get under what God put over us, the authority of Father God. First and foremost, we are also submitted to the authority of the iron sharpening iron of our brothers and sisters because who's going to call you out? Yeah, Jeff is volunteering. (laughs) Who is going to let you know? You got a big old poop stain on your face. But you're walking around thinking that you look great. But if nobody tells you, how many times has anybody ever gone to town with your pants unzipped? (laughs) And I get home and I'm like, how come nobody told me that? Because I wasn't around my church. It is imperative that we have other people around us so that we can grow into the fullness of who God has called us to be. Get under what God put over you so that you can get over what God put under you. Everything that was defeated through the blood of Jesus Christ is under you. But unless you get under what Jesus did, you cannot get over what Jesus conquered. Amen? Faith is our assurance of what we hope for. The dreamers and the innovators, we have within us the holy imagination. And I, this is, this is my opinion. I'm going to preface what I'm going to say. This is my opinion, my observation. What I have seen is that the church by and large has allowed the world and the world system to take the idea of imagination and dreaming and manipulate it into being something new age that has been leveraged for the wrong power. And because that has perverted what God originally intended, the church, by and large, has left it, said, oh, well, we're not going to go there. If somebody started making counterfeit $100 bills, would you just quit using $100 bills? No. The counterfeit will not stand, but the authentic will. The same as the dreamer, and the holy imagination. The counterfeit will not stand, but the authentic will. The dreamer in the imagination empowered by the Holy Spirit is what is going to lead us to the place that God is wanting to move the church in these days. And we have to be part of that. I want to be part of that. I want to be part of those holy dreamers, those holy imagination people. But the holy imagination can only function in fullness out of rest. If we are constantly distracted, 
if we are constantly being pulled in a hundred different directions, we cannot tap into the fullness of rest that God has for us. Therefore, we will not be able to access the fullness of the imagination and the dreamer that God wants to bring through us. And the enemy is doing everything that he can to keep us from entering into the fullness of God's rest. The same thing that happened in the wilderness because of unbelief. And if you and I can be trapped up and wrapped up in unbelief, we don't tap into the fullness of the creator that is on the inside of us. We are filled with faith. We are filled. We are people of hope. We can't help it. We are filled with hope. Y'all shouldn't get so excited about that. It is imperative that we dream and imagine in order to have hope because hope based solely on knowledge will be without resilience when knowledge runs out. If you haven't already, I'm not speaking a negative confession over you, but if you haven't already come into an occasion, a season, an experience, a challenge in your life where there was no knowledge to explain where you're at. Sitting in the doctor's office with my husband and listening to the doctor say to him, you have early onset Parkinson's and there is no cure. And from that point, the doctor sounded like Charlie Brown's teacher. Like I didn't hear anything else that he said. And I believe that that was the Lord. Because I don't think I needed to hear anything else that he said. But there was no knowledge. That was the end of knowledge. We have no cure. Sitting in the neurosurgeon's office. This man, I'm guessing, I mean, I don't know, but I'm guessing you got to be pretty darn smart to be a neurosurgeon. I'm just throwing that out there. This man, a neurosurgeon, I don't know how many years you got to go to school to be a neurosurgeon, but he says to us, we can't tell you why this deep brain stimulation surgery works. We have no idea. All we know is it does. The end of knowledge. (laughs) At least he's honest. How many of you have been in a situation where there was no knowledge to explain where you're at and why? We can't explain this. There is no explanation for it. We can't tell you how to get out of this. We can't tell you how to move on from this. We have no numerical reasoning for this. We have no formula for this. There is no formula for this. The politicians don't have a policy for this. The doctors don't have a cure for this. The banker doesn't have an answer for this. When knowledge ends, if our experience is solely based on knowledge, we will wane and we will grow faint when knowledge comes to an end. Unless we are a people filled with hope unless we are dreamers when knowledge comes to an end we will drop off that's why the scripture says do not grow weary why because we're going to have opportunity to grow weary when knowledge ends, that is why it is so important wherever you go to church that there is a balance between the word and the spirit. All word makes a person very legalistic, full of knowledge, void of hope. All spirit can make a person a church kind of like granola, fruits, nuts, and flakes. You have to have the balance of the word. There is order and God likes order. That's why the sun always comes up in the east. I found out even when you're in Australia, the sun always comes up in the east. I don't know why that was a thing to me. When we got to Australia, I was like, where does the sun come up in the west here? 
I said that after being on the plane for a really long time, so I'm going to blame it on that. Darren looked at me and he goes, I cannot believe you just said that with your outside voice. <laughs> Sometimes the thoughts, they just come before I have the opportunity to censor them. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, one of my favorite, like I could, I could minister on this day and night. One of my favorite, favorite, favorite accounts in the scripture is when Jesus and the disciples come across the man sitting at the pool of, of Bethesda at the gate beautiful. And the Bible tells us that this man had been on his mat. That's what they like a rug that they laid on. He had been there for years and years and years. And when Jesus comes across his path, the man sees Jesus And he calls out to him and Jesus looks at this man. Now, if you can imagine, this man has been on this mat. I'm going to imagine that this man was dirty. I'm going to think that he kind of had an odor about him. All these people are laying around, but Jesus stops and he talks to this one man. And his response to this one man, you could think that Jesus was kind of being a smarty pants. Because the man calls out to him and Jesus asks me, he goes, do you want to be made well? And I'm sure the disciples are like, dude, that's rude. Jesus, you keep saying these things that like are making people mad. People are trying to kill you. You're not helping your cause. But he looks at the man and he says, do you want to be made well? Why out of all of those people did Jesus stop at that one man? There's all of these sick people gathered around this pool. And every time I go to this account, God shows me something new. I... I would like to propose that Jesus stopped at this one man because when he said to him, do you want to be made well? When you study into that word want in the Greek, what it actually means is do you desire, can you wish, can you dream of being well? What Jesus was saying to him is, can you imagine, can you hope, can you picture, can you, with your mind, gather a picture of what it would look like for you to get up off of this mat that your life has been contained and held and restricted to this little, I don't know how big the mat, four by four mat, and that your years of existence have been no bigger than this mat, you stink. You have decay and you have fallen into the restriction and your whole world is no bigger than this map. But I would propose that the reason that Jesus stopped at this one man is because he perceived that this one man out of all of the people did have within him the seed and the ability that was needed to be called out to say, can you dream of life beyond this mat? He was the one. And Jesus called out to that dreamer on the inside of him. And when he did, the man who had been held to that mat got up and walked away. He could see it. He could picture it before he ever got up because Jesus, the one who was under authority, dreamed with authority and imparted the authority to this man to dream of something bigger that was beyond knowledge and comprehension to anything that that man had experienced. And when Jesus called out to him and released authority to him through his word, it spoke to to the man and the man then imagined and dreamed and pioneered something new in his life. See, the scripture says to us in Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, there's a, there's a whole string of passages here, scriptures here that is termed or called the, um, the hall of, of faith. And it lists out a whole bunch of people in our lineage that did extraordinary things because of the faith that was on the inside of them by God. In Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith 
is the substance of what we hope for. See, you and I, look at your neighbor and tell them, say, I'm the evidence. You are the evidence of God's hope. You are the evidence of God's dream. Your physical existence declares that God in heaven had a dream and then he chose to wrap a human being around that dream and then released that dream into earth that that dream that God wrapped a human being around would be the very expression of God in the flesh, his creativity, his passion and his love, his emotion Everything that heaven contains, that God breathed that. And when he breathed it, he wrapped a human around it, released it into the earth with purpose and with destiny. And every breath that you take is the evidence of God's hope. It is the evidence of God's faith. It is the evidence of heaven. You and I being here is the evidence of God. No person in here is without destiny. No person in here is without purpose. You may have been told that you were an accident and whoever said that to you was wrong. You may have been told that you're not capable. You may have been told that you're not qualified. Maybe they were wrong because God cannot lie. It has been said over and over and over. I've heard it since the end of last year. Rhett, if you will go ahead and come up. It has been said, and I've heard it so many times, that God is doing a new thing. And I, I'm seeing it. I'm watching it. But I know that we're not seeing it in the fullness yet. I want to. And we will. But I would like to propose that this time that we are coming into where God is calling to his dreamers, to his pioneers, because he's bringing us into a new thing because he does not want us to be reliant upon methods and familiarity. He wants us to come into a place where we are completely and totally reliant upon the Holy Spirit. He's wanting us to come into a place where we say, you know what? I don't know how to do that. Uh, I don't know. But I know the one that does. Where knowledge comes to an end. And just because I haven't experienced it doesn't mean that it's not real. That would be foolish. But so many times we can get hung up in that. Well, I've never seen that before. Behold, I do a new thing. I believe, I know that we are strategically positioned for this time to enter into the rest of God. I'm going to, there wasn't time this week. But next week, I want to talk about what is the rest of God and how do you get there? I love that. How do we enter into the rest of God? I think that's wonderful because you enter into the rest, but then enter into the rest, like the all of it. I want the rest of God. I want all of God. I've got this much of it, but I want the rest of it. So next week, I want to talk more about that. But here's what. Here's what I felt like God was wanting us to to recognize today is that the Holy Spirit activates our imagination to the holy imagination where we're dreaming with God, where we're we're pioneering with God, we're we're being innovative with God. And when we enter into the rest of God, our soul is able to fully expand with God without restriction. And if we can 
this week begin to think of God's rest as not being an escape, rather a declaration of faith in his goodness. That it is not about what I do and how I perform that releases the goodness of God, that God is good regardless. And when I rest in him, it is a declaration of my faith and trust in God that he is good. And it is my declaration of the trust in his completed works in my life. Is faith without works dead? Yes, there is a balance. So let's talk about that next week. But right now, what I felt like we were supposed to do is to activate our holy imagination. Because there are people in here who are being innovative in fields that God wants to enter into. There are people in here who you would say, I haven't dreamt in a long time. I don't even remember the last time I dreamt. There are people in here who have been told no so many times that you don't even know how to dream anymore. But the Holy Spirit on the inside of you does. There are people in here where you have come to the end of knowledge and there is no answer for your situation. And hope and dreaming with authority is the path that God has established for you. And you must tap into that. You must tap into that. So here's what I would like to do. Is that I believe that there are people in here that you are experiencing either a season or a situation in your life where there is no answer. There is no school. There is no educational answer. There is no medical answer. There is no psychological answer that it is a mystery. And if that is you, if you would like to stand, I invite you to stand. And when you stand, it is a standing in the rest of God whatever your situation is. And what I want to do to you right now for you is I want to call out to the Holy Spirit hope on the inside of you, the Holy Spirit dreamer in you. And I want you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine I want you to see, I want you to activate what would it look like? What would it feel like for you to be whole? Whatever your situation is. If it is a uh, need of healing in your body, right now I want you to begin to see. See yourself. What would you do and what, what would your day look like if you were not hindered in any way? physically or emotionally by the disease, the sickness, the infirmity that affects your life. What would you do? What would you do? What would it look like when you get out of bed? What would be the first thing you would do? Begin to see that. Begin to imagine that. Holy Spirit, activate their holy imagination. Holy Spirit, activate hope on the inside of them. Holy Spirit, begin to show them the dream of heaven for their life right now. No pain. No lack. Dream. Now here's the next one. What what would it look like if all of your financial needs were met and you had more than enough. If that is you, if you are in the place, there are people right now who are going through the financial peace class with Roy and Ashley, and you are learning about becoming debt-free, but the reason that we become debt-free is so that we are blessed to be a blessing. So if right now the desire of your heart is to pay off your house, that you not have a car payment, that you have more than enough to meet your need and the needs of other people, whoever God would put in front of you, stand to your feet. And when you stand, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to begin 
to dream? What would it look like if I did not have the weight and the burden of financial debt? What would it look like if I didn't have to worry about where my next paycheck was coming from? What would it look like if I had more than enough to meet my need and I could help other people? Where would I go? What would I do? What would, what adventure would God want to take me on if debt didn't control my life? If I was truly submitted to where God could just do anything through me. Now I want you to begin to dream. Holy Spirit, activate the dreamer on the inside of them the dream where would you go and what would it look like maybe maybe God wants to take you on a mission trip maybe he wants to take you on a mission trip across the street maybe he wants to take you on a mission trip across the other side of the world if money were not a factor what would you and God do together dream There and, and there's no shame in this at all. But there are people here who your battle is the thoughts of depression and heaviness and weight that before you even open your eyes when you are in your bed, it is so heavy on you. And I want you to know that there is no shame in that. That it is a spirit that is sent with an assignment to keep you held down. And if heaviness of mind if depression is a weight in your life, if you want to stand, I invite you to stand as a declaration of defeat of that in your life. Man, I applaud your bravery. I applaud your bravery. There is no shame in that, and we support you. We applaud your bravery in that. And right now, what I want you to dream is I want you to think, what would it be like for me to be completely free of all mental turmoil? That I was completely free and the darkness wasn't hanging over me. Spirit, I release you in the name of Jesus. Show them the dream. Show them your dream. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Now here, I want to say to everybody, keep dreaming. Keep dreaming. This is the place where the Holy Spirit on the inside of you and being able to pray in your most holy prayer language is so powerful because when you pray in your prayer language that is given to you by the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, you are connecting to the kingdom of heaven. And when you connect to the kingdom of heaven, it activates the kingdom of heaven on the inside of you. So when you pray in your prayer language, it stirs up that holy imagination. It stirs up the holy believer on the inside of you. So those of you who do pray in your prayer language, I invite you to just begin to pray. Just pray out loud so that you can hear yourself praying in your prayer language. And if you have never prayed in your personal prayer language to God and you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. The scripture says that when we are born again, that the Holy Spirit is given to us as a guarantee. In our language, it would be like an engagement ring, as a promise, as a down payment that we belong to God. We are marked the same way that you wear a wedding ring. The Holy Spirit marks you and says that one belongs to God. The Holy Spirit is given to you as a gift, as a promise from your heavenly father. And the Holy Spirit on the inside of you has a voice. And when you release that voice from deep inside of you, in your spirit, man, it prays in the language of heaven, the way that God speaks to us in the language of son, the Holy Spirit speaks through you in the language of heaven. It is prayer that the devil does not understand and he cannot interfere with. And you are absolutely, totally, 100% praying the perfect will of God. Sometimes we say, gosh, I don't know how to pray. I don't even know what to pray. I don't know what the situation is. I don't know how to pray. You pray in the spirit because the Holy Spirit knows. God knows. 
And if you've never prayed in your prayer language before and you desire to do so, just right now put your hands on your gut right here. This is where I think of the Holy Spirit and your spirit, man, being in your gut right here. And right now the Bible says that you stir up the gift of God on the inside of you. And I want you to listen to what's right here. Those of you who are praying in your prayer language, pray loud enough that anybody that is around you that is desiring to stir that up, they begin to hear the sound of heaven around them right now. So Father, we thank you that your Holy Spirit on the inside of us is alive and active. It is the very spirit that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead. And that spirit lives and dwells on the inside of us. And right now I declare for anyone who is desiring to release that Holy Spirit to speak through them, that they would pray the perfect will of God in their own personal prayer language, their very intimate language with you. Right now in the name of Jesus, put your hands on your belly. Stir it up, Father, in Jesus' name. And now put one hand on your chest because it's rising up. It's filling your chest with every breath that you take. The Holy Spirit is rising up inside of you. And right now, in the name of Jesus, speak. No more English. Begin to speak. It's just one syllable at a time. There's a couple of people right here that are praying. If you are around them, if you could just stretch your hands toward them. If God is, uh, there's a couple right here. If you are praying to receive that and you want somebody to just agree with you, just stick your hand up in the air. There's one right back there. Um, is there anybody else that would like somebody just to move towards you and just stand with you while you're praying? There's a lady right back here in a purple, uh, I'm sorry, pink sweater. If somebody could move toward her right now. Thank you, Lord. Father, we release in Jesus' name your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the gift that you have given us to be able to strengthen and encourage our most holy imagination on the inside of us. I'm going to ask Bailey to go ahead and come up and close us out. If you are praying, stay right where you're at. Don't move. I know the prayer team will be up here afterwards, but we're just going to be very calm, not like puppies. And we're just going to stay in this place of, of prayer and letting God minister to us. Come on.